give us the ballot, and we will no longer have to worry the federal government about our basic rights. Wow. 60 years ago. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Because we're still fighting for that ballot, I guess. Right. No, I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in From the Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA in Oregon on 91.7 KYAQ on the Central Coast 106.7 Queso in Cottage Grove in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 WLRI in Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 KAKU in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 in Palinville, New York on 102.9 WLPP in Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. In New Orleans on 102.3 WHIV. In Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ 90.1. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN 94.7. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ 97.3. KODX 96.9 up in Seattle, Washington joins us. Welcome, nice. Seattle. And, of course, in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Detour Talk, and many other fine affiliates, both terrestrial and internet, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Delighted to be with you here for yet another day. My thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to be here as many days as we possibly can. That's bradblog.com slash donate. Did I mention that? <laughs> yes, I believe you did. That is, of course, Desi Doyen, our erstwhile producer. What does that mean, erstwhile? I, I, I think mean? it means former, so no, no, I don't think that works. Okay. So no, but our hey, you know. Indefatigable okay. producer? There Although you go. I'm, I'm feeling pretty fatigable right now. Is that right? All <laughs> yeah, right. It's been, well, a, been a busy week. It has been. Uh, late on Thursday, after we got off the uh, off the air, the U.S. House passed a short-term stopgap spending bill by uh, by a margin of uh, 230 to 197. Just six Democrats voted for it. Eleven Republicans voted against it after the Freedom Caucus, formerly known as the Tea Party Caucus, until that name became too embarrassing for them, uh, after they finished pretending that they were going to vote against the measure. Turns out they were just kidding. They voted for it after all. And, uh, oh, hello, you Tea Partiers. Aren't you getting tired of your folks only pretending to agree with the stuff that they trick you into believing in? Just asking. Uh, nonetheless, as we go to air, passage of a short-term measure to keep the government open looks uh, increasingly unlikely to pass as uh, the minutes tick forward before the deadline on Friday night. But Republicans could fold by doing the right thing and stop using children 
whether there are millions of sick children who need health care insurance or 800,000 who were brought here as children from other countries through no fault of their own and are now being threatened with deportation by Donald Trump and his Republican Party beginning just over one month from now. Republicans could do the right thing. We will see if they do. But if you'd like a government that does not use children as a human shield uh, to try to keep the government from shutting down, uh, you have a choice. You can vote those people out. You can vote those people out who do that sort of thing, who continuously bring this country uh, to the brink, who continuously threaten government services that we all have paid taxes for. You, you have a choice. You can vote them out. Or at least you're supposed to have that choice. In states controlled by Republicans after the, 2010, uh, after the 2010 census, that choice is limited at best. For example, see North Carolina, where the Republican-controlled state legislature has been gaming election laws for years there, such that a court found their uh, voter suppression laws had purposely, quote, targeted African-Americans with surgical precision. And their congressional map, their U.S. House map, uh, was found by an appeals court just about a week or so in a landmark ruling that it had been drawn with the specific intent of suppressing non-Republican voters in violation of the U.S. Constitution's Equal Protection Clause. Those maps, the courts found, the, the, the appellate court found, were written to ensure that GOP representation in the U.S. House for the state of North Carolina would outnumber Democratic-held seats 10 to 3, almost no matter what the voters decided to do, 10 to 3, even though North Carolina is a swing state. And it elected a Democrat as governor back in, uh, in their last statewide election in 2016. And yet... Republicans still hold 10 seats to Democrats, three seats because of the way the Republicans have gerrymandered that state. That's what the appellate court said must stop and it must stop immediately and new maps must be drawn immediately. Uh, well, that was the good news. That was last week when the appeals court ordered those new congressional maps in North Carolina to be drawn up before the end of this month, in time for the 2018 primary elections, which begin very soon there. But our stolen U.S. Supreme Court apparently has another idea. On Thursday night, they intervened in that legal dispute over the gerrymandered North Carolina congressional districts, and they temporarily blocked that lower court ruling that had invalidated the current map and had imposed a January 24 deadline for state lawmakers to redraw the entire congressional map. A three-judge federal court panel ruled last week in League of Women Voters versus uh, League of Women Voters of North Carolina versus Rucho that the state GOP had intentionally and successfully drawn the map of congressional districts to ensure the GOP would keep its seats. The court had found. The Republican, district, the Republican districting methodology was unconstitutional and they imposed that quick deadline on legislature, legislators to come up with newly drawn maps because candidates in North Carolina can begin filing to run for Congress on the maps 
on February in February, February 12. That's when candidates start filing. And it's unclear where they're supposed to be filing, what district anybody is actually in. The Supreme Court granted a stay in response to North Carolina Republican leaders' request, meaning that the districts now are unlikely to be changed before November's election. That's right. Even though they were found to be unconstitutional, it looks like North Carolina will still continue to use them. Voters in North Carolina will still be suppressed. At least Democratic-leaning voters will still be suppressed. And this has long-term impacts because, of course, as you remember, the 2020 census is going to be used for redistricting. So whoever's in place in 2020, they get to write those districts again. And North Carolina, by the way, is just one example. Uh, We have seen this uh, all over the country. We are waiting for a Supreme Court decision concerning a, a similar gerrymandering case by Republicans up in Wisconsin. Now, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Sonia Sotomayor both dissented uh, from the uh, court's unsigned order on Thursday night to suggest that they would not have accepted the Republican lawmakers' request that the court wait, just wait, wait a little longer. Wait until it had come to a decision in uh, those uh, other similar cases currently pending in Wisconsin and Maryland. In the North Carolina case, the Republican in charge of the redistricting effort in the statehouse, a guy by the name of uh, State Rep. David Lewis, he wasn't embarrassed by uh, the way he had drawn the maps. He was in charge of it. He said, quote, I think electing Republicans is better than electing Democrats. So I drew this map to help foster what I think is better for the country. He just came out and said it. Now, he may have had the idea that he could say it because uh, while racial gerrymandering has been found by the Supreme Court to be unconstitutional, the Supremes have not come up with a ruling on whether partisan gerrymandering, strictly partisan, a guy like this who says, well, I like Republicans better. I think that's better for the country. So I'm going to draw these maps Even in this pretty much 50-50 state, I'm going to draw this map so that Republicans have this huge majority in the U.S. House of Representatives. That plan worked. In 2016, the court said Republican congressional candidates uh, won 53 percent of the statewide vote, and yet they won 10 of the 13 congressional districts. They won, in other words, 77 percent of them. So... 53% voted for Republicans in congressional uh, elections in 2016, and yet they end up with 77% of the representation. At the presidential level, uh, the state has been flipping back and forth over the past three cycles or so. Trump narrowly defeated Hillary Clinton there in 2016, but Obama won the state in 2008 before losing it just barely to Mitt Romney in 2012. At the same time, the governor and the attorney general of the state are both Democrats. And Republicans hold 10 seats in the U.S. House to Democrats three. That is voter suppression. And now it's apparently being allowed to continue in 2018, thanks to the Supreme Court, as they take their time deciding what what can we do about it? Oh, well, even if we decide that it's Uh, unconstitutional, even if we agree with that landmark ruling from that panel of appellate uh, appellate judges, well, it'll just be too late. We'll have to do that. We'll do it after the uh, 2018 elections, and we'll let the Republicans 
control the state delegation in the U.S. House for another two years. The odds, the maps, the restrictive laws, and yes, the stolen U.S. Supreme Court continue to be stacked against Democrats or at least against non-Republican voters. And frankly, it's stacked even against the right to vote itself and the right to be represented in government which I think is something that this country actually threw a revolution for a couple hundred years ago. And yet we're still fighting the same fight. Many decades after the Voting Rights Act was passed, theoretically, to stop this kind of gamesmanship of our theoretically representative democracy. But now, finally, finally, some voting rights advocates have a plan. A plan to fight back and to fight back loudly in 2018. The great Barbara Arnwine of the Transformative Justice Coalition joins us next to discuss the newly formed National Commission for Voter Justice. Oh, there's an idea. That's next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine This little light Let it shine indeed. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Well, the Justice Department in a court filing this past Tuesday said that it had requested former commissioners on President Trump's now defunct so-called Presidential Advisory Commission on Election Integrity it uh, to to not share any non-public records collected by the commission with the Department of Homeland Security and that the DOJ lawyers asked the vice chair of that now defunct commission, Kansas Secretary of State and infamous GOP voter fraud fraudster Chris Kobach, 
asked him specifically to refrain from sharing those records. The filing says he has agreed to do so. That filing was part of the continued litigation around the commission in the lawsuit that a Democratic member of that commission, Maine Secretary of State Matt Dunlap, brought to the court before the commission was subsequently shut down by President Trump. Dunlap has since asked the court to prevent Kobach from sharing the records, which includes state voter roll data, with the DHS, particularly after Kobach had told the media that the DHS would be taking over the commission's work. Both the DOJ and the DHS have now subsequently denied Kobach and, yes, Trump's suggestion that DHS would either be taking over the commission's defunct investigation or, as Kobach has claimed, that he is advising them on that effort. They seem to want nothing to do with him. When we last brought you up to date on the embarrassing Kobach uh, saga, this voter fraud commission saga, I noted that a number of voting rights advocates were calling on Democrats to open up an actual commission, a legitimate one, on voter suppression. The real threat facing American voters once again this year, along with the continuing threat to our electronic voting and tabulation systems, of course, As usual, it is not voter fraud that's the greatest concern about U.S. elections. It is election fraud by insiders and, yes, outside hackers who have easy access to manipulate voting systems and results that we need to worry about. They can also manipulate the voting rolls. Before we can even worry about the voting systems, we must worry about the suppression of voters and their ability to vote and to have their votes counted at all. That fight, that struggle remains one of America's, frankly, greatest shames, at least if you believe the reports from the, uh, the Electoral Integrity Project, a joint effort by Harvard and Sydney University, which has year after year now ranked the U.S. dead last on its electoral integrity scale among all Western democracies. That due in no small part to uh, our poor campaign finance laws, our impossibly gerrymandered congressional districts, and yes, our suppressive voting laws that keep perfectly legitimate voters from being able to cast their votes at all and participate in their democracy. That court filing in the continuing challenge to the now-defunct Trump-Kobach Voter Fraud Commission on Tuesday came, ironically enough, just one day after the Martin Luther King Day holiday. As longtime voting rights champion Barbara Arnwine and progressive journalist John Nichols write at The Nation this month, it was exactly 61 years ago this May that a young 28-year-old Martin Luther King offered his landmark Give Us the Ballot speech, three years after the Supreme Court's Brown versus Board of Education ruling, when states were still refusing at that time to implement to implement the uh, Supreme Court ruling by addressing decades of systemic segregation in our nation's school systems. Give us the ballot and we will no longer have to worry the federal government about our basic rights, King argued that day. But it would be another eight years before the Voting Rights Act would would finally be signed into law, ending or at least hoping to end systemic voter suppression, particularly in the Jim Crow South. Unreasonable people recognized 
King's Give Us the Ballot agenda, not as a promise, but as a threat, writes Arnwine and Nichols. They knew that high turnout elections and ever-expanding democracy would, as King had suggested, change not just the complexion of those who cast ballots in elections, but also the policies that extend from those elections. That uh, one of those unreasonable people was on display some 25 years after King's speech, conservative strategist Paul Weyrich, who famously explained in 1981, Now many of our Christians have what I call the goo-goo syndrome. Good government. They want everybody to vote. I don't want everybody to vote. Elections are not won by a majority of people. They never have been from the beginning of our country, and they are not now. As a matter of fact, our leverage in the elections quite candidly goes up as the voting populace goes down. That was Paul Wyrick, a longtime Republican uh, voter suppression champion who helped uh, form all of the groups, the Heritage Foundation, the uh, American Legislative Exchange Council, all of these right-wing groups that still work so hard to this day to keep all Americans from voting, as Wyrick was calling for. Nearly 50 years after the passage of the Voting Rights Act, in 2013, the U.S. Supreme Court gutted the central provision of that landmark act amid the last decade of modern Jim Crow-like tactics implemented, particularly in Republican-controlled states, to keep legal voters from casting their votes and to ensure Republicans retained power, even where Democratic voters outnumbered Republicans. Arnwine and Nichols write at The Nation, what a shameful circumstance the U.S. finds itself in as we join in this year's Martin Luther King Day celebrations and as we prepare for this year's solemn commemoration of the 50th anniversary of his assassination. How unsettling it is that the threats of voting rights that so concerned our nation's civil rights campaigner are still alive in the 21st century. The warning the King delivered in his 1957 speech at the Lincoln Memorial rings as true as ever, they write. He said then that, quote, all types of conniving methods are still being used to prevent Negroes from becoming registered voters. Those conniving methods of today are more sophisticated, they write, and they are promoted in more calculating language. But the threat of old has been renewed and extended Tens of millions of Americans of every race and creed in every region of the U.S. face the prospect of voter suppression so severe that it will warp elections and governance nationwide. I would argue, as I long have here on the Bradcast and at bradblog.com, that it already has warped elections nationwide, particularly over the last decade with the introduction of draconian photo ID voting restrictions, now shown by several studies to have suppressed turnout in states where it has been implemented, ra radically gerrymandered congressional and legislative districts, particularly in states controlled by Republicans, and other modern Jim Crow-era dirty tricks and voting roll purges that have been made lawful by decisions or lack of decisions by a far-right-leaning and now-stolen U.S. Supreme Court. That... 
Arnwine and Nichols write, is unacceptable. It is not merely unacceptable because of the danger to, to democracy. It is unacceptable because of the danger to the progress of the United States as a diverse nation where, despite all of its past and all of its contemporary challenges, the long arc of our history can and must be bent toward justice. To help bend that arc, finally, a new National Commission for Voter Justice has been constituted. This week, comprised of leaders of the National Bar Association, scholars, activists from across the country, including both Arnwine and our friend John Nichols. Here to discuss that new commission and the challenges that the nation faces as we head towards the crucial 2018 midterm elections is Barbara Arnwine. She's a veteran civil rights leader and now founder and president of the Transformative Justice Coalition. She is co-chair of the newly formed National Commission for Voter Justice, a long overdue commission, I would add. And she served as the executive director of the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights under law from 1989 to 2015, where she is now president emeritus. She also teaches at North Carolina Central University School of Law, where I'm guessing she has plenty to talk about in North Carolina <laughs> regarding the law these days. Barbara Arnwine, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you for having me. It's a <laughs> real pleasure to be on your show. Thank uh, you so much. But my, the pleasure is mine. Uh, Barbara, lots to talk to you about uh, today, but since you teach in North Carolina of late, and uh, <laughs> last night the U.S. Supreme Court stayed uh, what is really a landmark ruling from the U.S. Appeals Court ordering a new congressional map to be immediately drawn up after determining that it was purposely gerrymandered in a partisan way to assure a 10 to 3 Republican majority of U.S. House members, despite the state being pretty evenly split between Republicans and Democrats. With that action from the Supremes on Thursday night, I wanted to get your thoughts on that decision by the Supreme Court today. Well, I think it's one of two really wicked uh, decisions from the court. Uh, remember that just uh, two weeks ago, I think, or last week, mm -hmm. they uh, voted to uh, not allow the decision regarding the Texas redistricting yep. uh, to be stayed. Uh, so they, uh, I mean, they, they uh, decided that, you know, the Texas could go ahead under their bad map that the judge, uh, judges have uh, invalidated, uh, which is really bad news, because that means that going into 2018, both in Texas and in North Carolina, uh, voters are going to be confronted with bad uh, redistricting plans that were gerrymandered, racially gerrymandered. In fact, one friend told me that in Greensboro, you can literally stand on the, a street and they ran the line to divide, you know, to crack the black community. They ran the line right down the middle of mm -hmm. the street. So one side of the street, people are in one district. On the other side of the street, they're in another district. Makes zero sense. And those kind of maps really should not be allowed to function, to be in place, to be operative and to deny citizens their right to vote as a, you know, as a community mm -hmm. 
uh, which weakens and dilutes minority power. And, you know, we have seen similar uh, rulings from the Supreme Court in recent years where we see, you know, sort of appellate courts uh, finding in favor of voting rights time and time and time again. And then the Supreme Court comes along and either reverses those those decisions or uh, perhaps even more maddening, maddeningly just sort of delays them, says, uh, well, yes, m- you know, thousands of people may be suppressed by this particular law, but we are too close to the election to make the change right now. So they delay it. They stay it. Um, it feels like this decision uh, in North Carolina is of a piece with that, basically staying and delaying well, these sorts we of remember, uh, rulings. Well, we got to remember, we're looking at the Roberts Court. I mean, mm-hmm. this is a man who made his life ambition, the evisceration and the weakening of the Voting Rights Act. Mm-hmm. In fact, if he had had his way, there wouldn't be a Voting Rights Act, as he wrote many, many years ago. You got Ta- Clarence Thomas sitting on that court who said the same thing. You have, you know, Leto, you know, sitting on that court with the same, you know, opinion. So these are, and, you know, of course, now you have Gorsuch, uh, you know, sitting on the court. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are people who really in their hearts don't view democracy the way most of us view it. Now, we believe that democracy should be for every single voter. That's why we created a national commission for voter justice, mm-hmm. because every voter should have the right to be able to vote and to have their vote counted. But instead, we have people sitting, even on our courts, who are elitists, who believe that certain people aren't as entitled to vote as other people. And that's a problem. That's a serious problem. And that they are, you know, fine with these kinds of schemes and, um, you know, gerrymandering and other devices and tactics that deny people the right to vote because they believe in their heart that the result is fair. Mm. It's a result that they want. And it's a result that, you know, puts people into power who they favor. And that's wrong. Democracy should always be about a competition of ideas, a competition of the best candidates, and that the people make their choices. You don't, you know, politicians should never pick who their constituents are. The constituents should pick the politicians. And we are in a reverse democracy right now. In fact, when you mentioned North Carolina, North Carolina has been raided by international entities Mm -hmm. as no longer a democracy, that there is no operative democracy in North Carolina because of all the racial gerrymandering, because of all the racial uh, voter suppression. And when they, and let me be very clear, it's not even just racial. They hate students. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They don't like students because they say they're too liberal. They uh, yeah. they don't like, you know, they, they're not trying to make the vote accessible for people with disabilities. This is not just about racialism. It's also about elitism, because they also have been writing, if you look at, you know, Matthew Baden and some others' writings, they've been writing about how low-income people shouldn't have the right to vote. Uh, so this is serious. People don't really understand how severe the threat to democracy is. But that's why the National Commission for Voter Justice is going to be coming to every 
area where we can, we're going to have over 20 hearings uh, around the country so that we can hear directly from voters what they're encountering, what their experiences are, and more importantly, what some of the solutions are, helping people to advocate for those changes and helping voters to what be what we call vote ready mm-hmm. and to get their vote on. What is the, uh, I, I, I mentioned uh, in the intro here that this is a long, really a long overdue panel. Voting rights advocates have been uh, you know, pressing for a, some sort of a voter suppression commission, which the Trump administration, Chris Kobach, of course, seems to have no time for whatsoever. Uh, wh- what do you, pra- in, in, in practical terms, what do you hope to accomplish with this uh, new voter justice commission? I mean, we're already heading into elections. Uh, I, you'll have hearings around the country, but what, what can a commission like this actually do between, let's say, now and the 2018? elections. Oh, we can do so much, and that's why I've been so thrilled at all of the positive reaction around the country to the creation of this commission, because what we can do is we can help voters to know about their voting rights and to just get basic information. We know, for example, that the Secretary of State in Alabama said he didn't feel like he had an obligation to inform voters of their voting rights. Mm-hmm. I mean, basic information about deadlines, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. So we're going to be out there doing that work. For example, in Texas right now, most people aren't aware that their last day to register is February 5th. Mm-hmm. We've been blowing that up. Uh, and telling people, call your friends, call your colleagues, call your relatives, family. Make sure people are aware that, you know, February 5th, you must be registered if you're going to participate in the March 6th primary. Early voting starts on February the 20th, yet there are no ads, there mm-hmm. are no outreach, people don't get anything in the mail telling them about these, uh, you know, upcoming events. And what will happen is that a lot of people will show up to a poll and be told, oh, you're not registered. Are they going to be, uh, are they moved and didn't know that in Texas that if you move from one county to the other, if you move and you have a new address, that you need to re-register? They have no idea. And that obligation is not being taken on by the states. Remember that one of the lawsuits in Texas was that they instituted a new voter ID program mm-hmm. and refused to spend a dime telling the citizens of Texas that they had to bring new ID to the polls. Yep. These are the kinds of reasons why you need a commission that is for voters. That is, we call it the People's Commission. That's all about the people. It's not the government's commission. It's not an educational institution's commission. It is the People's Commission. So we are doing everything we can to just make sure that we have, you know, the best possible, you know, outreach to voters. Plus, we're going to do something unusual. Not only are we going to have hearings where voters can come and talk to us directly and tell us about their experiences, where we're going to hear from experts and publish reports and recommendations, we're also going to run training events so that people who want to help voters mm. who are sitting out there right now saying, how in the world could I help? How could I be involved? We're going to teach you how to do that. We're going to teach you how to, to help you know, get people registered, how to help 
inform and educate people, how to help you know people to know where their correct polling places are, how to help people to overcome voter suppression, how to get their voter IDs, all those great groups that are out there doing this great work. We're going to take, connect people with those groups. Uh, so we believe that this commission, being a people's commission, being for voters, will be a tremendously needed uh, you know, asset in our nation because, sadly, we have too many states that have no sense of obligation to the voter and are not doing their job of reaching out, educating, and helping voters to participate in the franchise. Barbara Arnwine, you know, we know that Republicans have been forcing these new voter suppression laws over the past decade and, and, and more, obviously. But have Democrats uh, done enough to counter those measures and, uh, you know, institute other practices to expand the franchise, even as the GOP is trying to limit it? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm often critical, obviously, of uh, what Republicans and how they're trying to keep people from voting. But ha have Democrats been doing enough to, to fight that fight? Well, you know, that's an interesting question. You know, we are nonpartisan as a commission, so we're not about Democrats, Greens, mm -hmm. Independents, uh, Republicans. But there are, you know, certain actors that clearly are worse than others. Um, but let's be very clear that I don't think anyone is doing the job of trying to just help voters. Everyone wants, uh, candidates are all about getting voters out to vote for them. Mm -hmm. uh, parties are all about getting voters out to vote for they're candidates. Mm -hmm. um, we are different. We believe that every single voter, no matter how they're going to vote, has the right to be able to cast that ballot. And the problem is, is that in the parties and in, uh, you know, in candidacies, when people are running, they don't want their opposition to vote. Uh, so it's important for us to, you know, really come back and put the you know, to put the evenness back into the voting process, the fairness back, to really emphasize the fact that you don't have a full democracy when you are suppressing the vote of any voters. Uh, democracy means that every single eligible citizen has the right to cast a ballot and to have it counted. And I thank you so much for that, because, you know, when it comes to the work that we do on election integrity uh, here and at bradblog.com for years, you know, I've been saying we don't support any candidates we support right. voters because right. support the voter the candidates have plenty of supporters but the voters don't so i thank you for that and i i know i promised to let you go here but i got one more thought i, I i'd oh, love please. to finish with uh barbara I, I look back at my at my records today i found the last time that you were on you and i were on the air <laughs> together was in 2008 on tavis smiley's show at the time <laughs> along with the gop voter fraud fraudster hans von Spick I'm sure you know him. Uh, yes. I don't think that up until that point, I don't know that he had ever actually gone on radio with people who could actually debunk his BS arguments. But <laughs> I looked even farther back than that, Barbara, and I found that we covered your testimony to the 
Boy, this was 2005 to the Presidential Commission led by James Baker back then. Yes. Uh, remember sure that? Is. And uh, that yes. was, I felt, a phony commission, frankly, at the time. But, it, boy, it looks like a blue ribbon panel compared to what this Kobach Trump thing uh, commission was about. <laughs> That was the point here. That was 12 years ago. We are yes. still fighting the same battles. That was about photo ID, that Baker uh, Carter commission back then. They were trying to fight for photo ID. We're still fighting the same battles. Um, but even that is nothing compared to the fact that MLK was talking about these same things 60 it's years ago. Seven. Yeah. That's right. Is this a fight that is ever won or will it? really always be a a struggle, Barbara? I think democracy is precious. And if you look at it worldwide, it always has to be fought for. Somebody has to be vigilant to make sure that its objectives are fulfilled because there are always anti-democratic forces at play. People who are, you know, fascistic in their viewpoint or people who just are authoritarian in their viewpoint or people who just don't like democracy. They fundamentally want, you know, the scales to put their, what do you call it, you know, put their thumbs on the scales mm-hmm. and to push the scales in their direction. Um, you know, the democracy is never permanent. It requires vigilance. It requires engagement. It requires organizations to monitor, to advocate for it. Uh, you know, but it shouldn't be as bad as it is in the United States. That's the problem. The problem is that even with the fact that you've got to constantly seek it, it shouldn't be this bad. We should not have millions upon millions of voters finding themselves blocked from the polling booth. We shouldn't have three-hour lines. We shouldn't have machinery that everybody knows is worthless in Georgia and in Pennsylvania, these DRE machines mm-hmm. we, that are totally hackable, no good. Uh, we, you know, no, uh, we should not have a system that doesn't give people a receipt where they can see how, they're, how they voted, uh, where there's no hand you know, ballots. Yep. Uh, we can have a better democracy. This is not hard, people. This is not even expensive. <laughs> in fact, it's more expensive to do it the wrong way. It's better that we look at having a democracy that is first class and first class for voters that you know that i love the fact that 10 of the 50 states have in the last five years passed automatic voter registration that takes away so many problems for voters and what that means is that when people turn 18 they are automatically registered they don't have to go looking for a voter registration, you know, official. They don't have to worry about being purged all the time because of, uh, you know, problems with the voter P, uh, voter registration, not, you know, processing their registrations correctly. They are registered automatically. That's now in 10 states. In Oregon, where they did that, they found out that not only did it add hundreds of thousands of new voters, but those voters that they added turned out to vote in a higher turnout than people who had to seek and fight to find these voter registration groups mm-hmm. to help them. So it tells us that if you lower the barriers to voting, 
if you make it possible for people to participate, even if you value, I mean, tell me, where do you see any ads or anything that says, thank you for participating in our democracy? Thank you for voting. We just don't treasure our democracy the way we should. And that's why the Commission for Voter Justice will be out there trying to change, doing everything we can to change this dynamic, to put voters first, to make this, this a priority for our nation, and to fight voter suppression. Hans Van Koski, KKK, Chris Kobach of Kansas, all of you, <laughs> be on notice that we're coming. We're coming for the people. We're coming to everywhere we can to fire up voters, to make them re- vote ready, to do one thing, you know, not only to get their vote on, but for them to show up at the polls this year, to show up and show out by <laughs> voting at the best way that they can. The price of freedom, as they say, is eternal vigilance. Uh, the eternally <laughs> right. vigilant Barbara Arnwine, founder and president of the Transformative Justice Coalition, now co-chair of the much-needed National Commission for Voter Justice. You can get information on their work at nationalcvj.org. You can come out to their uh, hearings, which will be held uh, in, in the coming months. You can follow them on Twitter and Facebook at nationalcvj. And you can follow Barbara Arnwine on the Twitters at Barb's73. Barbara Arnwine, really uh, appreciate all the work you're doing, and thank, thank you so you much so for joining much, us. Brad. Just thank you for having me. Thank you so much for the great advocacy that you do and the great education you do. Thank you. Thank you. We'll bother you again soon, Barbara. Great. <laughs> all right. Bye-bye. <laughs> okay, quick break. We're back. With more broadcasts after this, where are we going from here? I don't know. We'll figure it out. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the broadcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the broadcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the broadcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Headed for the open door. Hope so. Hope to hear that sound. Hope we had uh, running to the ballot box. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, Barbara Arnwine is delightful. Yeah, she's on fire. She, she got me all fired I up. Know, I know. I don't know why uh, it's taken so long to have her back on the show. Really good to uh, to talk to her. And uh, long overdue effort. I wish them nothing but luck on the National Commission for Voter Justice. They need to be raising hell, making noise 
all year long uh, between now and the election and far beyond. So good luck to them because, you know, there are so much gaming of the system going on in so many insidious ways. Here's a story that I, be, I was back in December. I wanted to get to this. I never got to it from NBC with a rash of recent resignations on Capitol Hill. This was when uh, there was a whole bunch of people resigning due to uh, sexual uh, misconduct allegations and all that. Yeah. Um, With that rash of recent resignations, campaign reporters have had plenty of reason to brush up on special election laws in states around the country. And those laws and the decision of one governor mean that one set of departing congressmen's constituents will have representation in Congress for half a year or more, for half a year more, I should say, than another districts, despite the representatives who resigned in the very same week. In Arizona, Republican Governor Doug Ducey announced that the special election to replace outgoing Republican uh, Congressman Trent Franks, uh, he has since resigned, I believe, that that will be held, the special election will be held on April 24. The primary is coming up in February. Ducey, the governor in Arizona, was bound by state law that requires that the special primary be held between 80 and 90 days after the vacancy with a general election held between 50 and 60 days later. So they're going to have to have an election there very quickly in this uh, largely Republican held district uh, that had uh, Trent Franks in there. But in Michigan... Constituents in the 13th Congressional District, that's near Detroit, that's in Detroit, they will have to wait until next November to see departing Congressman John Conyers be replaced by the voters. Wow, they have to wait a whole year? Yes, without representation. That, according to Michigan state law, the governor has wide discretion when it comes to declaring the timing of both a special primary and a special general election to fill a congressional vacancy with no limits on how soon the elections must be held. Well, they've got a Republican governor up in Michigan, and that Republican governor, Rick Snyder, who could have, for example, scheduled those contests to coincide with election dates that are already on the calendar. There is a regularly scheduled election for local offices in the state in May, the beginning of May. And the state's regularly scheduled statewide primary election day is August 7. He could have announced these elections for either of those days. But since it's very likely that a Democrat is going to fill John Conyers seat and give a Democratic vote in that house, uh, he's yeah, you know what? He'll he'll punt. He'll just wait. He'll wait until November. We can do it then. This is very similar to when McConnell held the Supreme Court seat open for a year. Uh, well, that's right, which they just decided that's what they wanted to do. So they did. <laughs> because otherwise, you know, we God forbid we have a Democrat in office, so let's just do, let's hold the seat open. Let's keep these people unrepresented in Detroit for 11 months, almost an entire year. Those who live in Detroit will not have representation in the U.S. House by the choice of that state's Republican governor. They will do anything. It seems, uh, you know, to hell with democracy. That seems to be the way uh, Republicans work. Uh, Speaking of when Joe Arpaio, the former Maricopa County, speaking of Arizona, the former Maricopa County Sheriff, when he announced his intention 
to run for the U.S. Senate uh, a couple of uh, just last week. He became the fourth, count him, the fourth viable Republican 28 congressional candidate who has been convicted of a crime. Uh, Arpaio was convicted of misdemeanor criminal contempt of court in July of 2017 for defying a court order requiring him to stop illegally detaining people that he suspected of being undocumented immigrants based on basically the way they looked. Donald Trump pardoned him for that just one month later, so Joe Arpaio never uh, went to jail. Instead, Joe Arpaio may be going to the U.S. Senate. The other convicted criminals running for office as Republicans are, oh, your old friend Don Blankenship. Oh, boy. The coal baron. That's right. Head of, uh, well, former head of Massey Energy. He's running in the uh, Republican uh, primary to uh, to hopefully, he wants to hopefully run against West Virginia Democrat Senator Joe Manchin. He's now out of jail, by the way, so he can run Blankenship. Not, yes. uh, 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 not Manchin. In jail for his part in the deaths yep. of 29 miners at the Upper Big Branch bon- mine explosion back in 2010. Right. That the jury ruled that, yeah, he, he did suppress uh, safety regulations there, and, and that led to those miners' deaths. But according to uh, him, he now deserved to be in the U.S. Senate as a Republican. So that's the that's the second one. So you got Ohio, you got Blankenship. And then don't forget about Congressman Michael Grimm. Remember him? He's challenging uh, incumbent uh, Republican uh, Congressman Dan Donovan uh, to reclaim the Staten Island seat that he once held. Oh, wait, who is he? He's the guy who had. Well, I'll tell you in a second. Let me give you the fourth one. The the fourth one here is uh, Congressman Greg Gianforte. You may remember him from Montana. He's also running for reelection. So we mentioned uh, already Don Blankenship found that uh, he was uh, liable for evading mine safety laws that led to the deaths of 29 miners. He served one year in prison uh, for doing that. Uh, Michael Grimm, the the former congressman from Staten Island, he's also a former FBI agent. He pleaded guilty to felony tax evasion in 2014. So he went to jail for a while. He's now out. And then last year, of course, Gianforte, he was the guy who pleaded guilty to assault for body slamming a reporter on the night before winning a 2017 special election. The only Democrat with a record who's running for office right now that we know of is David Alcorn. He's convicted of stalking. He's one of nine candidates running for the Democratic Party nomination in uh, a, a New Mexico congressional district. So... Seems unlikely he'll do well with with nine others running, but we will see. The DCCC, the Democratic Congressional Committee, will not support Alcorn. They said he is not fit to run for office. I haven't heard anything similar from Republicans concerning guys like uh, Joe Arpaio yet. Arpaio, Blankenship, and Grimm, they have suggested that their convictions show that they were persecuted by the Obama administration. Wow. For their political beliefs. Evidence, of course, suggests otherwise. Blankenship referred to himself as a, quote, political prisoner. That's how he sees himself, a political prisoner of the Obama administration. So he's going to rehabilitate himself and his image through an electoral run. Good luck with that, sir. 
Michael Grimm claims he was a victim with, quote, the entire Obama Justice Department weaponized against me. Well, were they weaponized against you when you threatened on camera to throw a journalist off a balcony at the Capitol and to break him like a boy? Remember him? Remember that guy who said, I will break you like a boy? Oh, yeah. Because he had the journal to a journalist on camera because he had the temerity to, you know, ask him questions about his opinions and such. It's kind of amazing. Who would have thought Obama Obama was so powerful and could force Michael Grimm to yeah. evade his taxes? That's right. That's right. Uh, and, of course, Arpaio called his conviction for refusing to follow lawful court orders, quote, a political witch hunt by holdovers in the Obama Justice Department. And to be frank, Arpaio got off easy, not just because he got a, a subsequent pardon from Donald Trump. But given all that Orpio has done over the years, the fact that uh, he was only held uh, criminally liable for this one issue, he should be thanking his lucky stars. But now he's going to run for the U.S. Senate. That's four Republicans running for Congress who have been convicted of crimes. And if Republicans are willing to put up uh, these guys who have been convicted of crimes, if they're if they're willing to put these guys up for election as candidates, imagine what their officials are willing to do behind the scenes, whether they're election officials, whether they're campaign officials. I don't even want to imagine. Uh, I want to oversee. I want to be able to oversee the entire process. That's why we fight for uh, people to be able to vote, for the public to be able to oversee elections. Uh, and that's why it's so important that uh, Barbara Arnwine's uh, new National Commission for Voter Justice uh, makes a hell of a lot of noise this year. Oh, indeed. And it's what I love about it is it's something that everybody can get involved with. Everybody can help out with this one. It doesn't matter what party you are. I'm sure everybody who loves America and who are actual patriots actually believe that everyone who is a legal and eligible voter should be able to vote and have their vote counted. And uh, hey, speaking of everyone helping out, uh, before we get thrown over a balcony by uh, <laughs> Michael Grimm or anyone else... <laughs> Like how I did that. My thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we try to do every day over your public airwaves as we head into another election year. It is, uh, well, your help is the only thing that keeps us going at bradblog.com slash donate. So if you want real independent coverage of your electoral system, of your democracy, of everything else... Uh, this is a critical time. We are coming up on our 14th anniversary, I believe it is, in a few days at bradblog.com. If you'd like to uh, give us a uh, an anniversary gift, we will welcome it at bradblog.com slash donate. My thanks also to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Barbara Arnwine of the Transformative Justice Coalition and now the National Commission for Voter Justice. And to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, you can download it for free at bradblog.com anytime. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. Always good to uh, hear from you, good, bad, or otherwise, in response to our shows. That's bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I hope you will share us far and wide where I am simply the Brad Blog. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Headed for
Yo 